Well, it is good to be with you today. We are on a journey, making our way through the Lord's Prayer, word by word, phrase by phrase, we have this remarkable opportunity to explore Jesus' teaching on prayer. It's interesting that the only teaching that the disciples asked from Jesus, like, Lord, teach us this, was teach us to pray. They didn't ask, uh, teach us to preach or, or teach us to heal, teach us to cast out demons, teach us to be great leaders. The one request they gave to Jesus was teach us to pray. And somehow they saw that at the heart of everything Jesus did, everything at the heart of Jesus did was connected with his relationship with the Father And they saw him often pulling away to a quiet place to pray. And as much as the disciples grew up praying, they realized that they still had more to learn. They grew up in in godly homes. They grew up in a a Jewish community where they heard the prayers every week and, and every time. But they knew that they needed to come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. They were still beginners in prayer. And I hope that we can realize that we too are beginners in prayer, beginners in the school of prayer. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Richard is away for some time of holiday, and I'm grateful to be able to share God's word with you this week and next week. And uh, Sheila and I, actually Richard and I have been doing some tagging on and off because I've been away for a couple of weeks of holidays and we had, we actually had a big holiday. We, we went away to Ireland uh, to see some of Sheila's family and to do some touring and to explore a different land. We had lots of adventures. I'm not going to tell you about it all, but I do want to tell you about one thing that happened. One challenge for us was to get a rental car and to do our own driving. Now, driving on winding and narrow country roads with hedges on both sides was hard enough. But remembering this, remembering to drive on the left required vigilance with great focus. And then also with it being on the left, for those of you who kind of like cars, they were all their cars are all standard transmissions there, so you have to use your left hand as well to change the gears and to move from place to place. Um, every time Sheila and I got into the car, we would recite this mantra over and over again. Keep to the left. We'd say it out loud in the car. Keep to the left. Keep to the left. Keep to the left. And when driving the car, it felt like there was some kind of magnet that was just pulling me over to the right. You know what? We traveled to a new land, and we were learning different habits. For those of you who, who are immigrants or those of you who have come to a new country, say, what is this new country all about? How do I get used to it? The culture is just different. And uh, now Sheila and I are home again, and Sheila has been saying to me, keep to the right, keep to the right, keep to the right. And so too, it's this, we have daily habits of prayer, and we are learning to steer our lives in prayer in a brand new direction, 
to steer our lives God's way, to steer our lives not on our own path, but to say, Lord, I want to be steering my life so much in tune with you that I am fully on track with you. Today, we want to consider four absolutely transforming words from the Lord's Prayer. It's these four words, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, just even those are the words from the Lord's Prayer, and it's these words, your will be done. These four words are at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. These four words indicate submission and surrender to our loving Father and our compassionate Abba. Please notice that that prayer is not worded like this, may we do your will. That's a, that's a part of the prayer, isn't it? May we do your will is a part of the prayer. It's a wonderful thing to say to God, God, more than anything else, I want to do your will. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That is a part of this prayer. But your will be done takes us a little further, I think, because here we are praying that God the Father, that he will do his will. That it's not just us doing it, but that he will be active in doing it. It's like we are praying, Lord, we want you to do your purpose. We know that we can't fulfill it completely. We know that we can't do it in a perfectly right way, but you can do it, and we want your will to be done. So may you be the one who is doing it. Your will be done is a theme that's repeated in Scripture, but I want you to come with me as we consider Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, if you do have your Bibles, you might want to open there. We'll look to other scriptures, but we'll come back to look at the Gethsemane story in Matthew 26, because it's here in this story that we learn about Jesus' suffering. But I believe also that in this text, Jesus is teaching the church how to pray, how to pray through hardship how to pray through difficult decisions, and how to pray through anxieties. And who of us doesn't need a tutorial on this? Jesus brought the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him to the garden. Uh, Think back in Matthew 17, the same three disciples accompanied Jesus to the high mountain. They saw King Jesus transfigured in divine glory. They saw Jesus like as, as God in, in full glory. And now here in Matthew 26, these three disciples come with Jesus and they see lowly Jesus in all his humanity and in all his weakness. Verse 37, we read that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. Another translation says, Jesus was grieved and agitated, verse 37. The New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, when he studied this passage, he put it like this. He said, the words are translated like this. It's, he began to be depressed and confused. Jesus, sorrowful. Jesus, grieved and agitated. Jesus, depressed confused? The story is incredible. It's astonishing that 
the New Testament authors should even write this story about Jesus. If they want to give us a good, clean, strong picture of Jesus, why include this story of Jesus praying like this? No one could invent these stories about Jesus if they were not true. Here we have the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And then in verse 38, Jesus continues, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, Jesus is saying something like this, I feel so bad I could die. Now, it's one thing for a leader to feel these feelings, but how freely should a leader share those feelings with other people? Isn't a leader supposed to be always upbeat, cheer others on with positive words? You know, I speak this to you because I know that so many of you are in leadership roles, whether it's in the church or it's in the workplace, in the community. Perhaps these words are a reminder that all of us are called to share our souls with a few friends. This isn't the main part of the story that I want to explore, but I want to remind you that it is good and it is right for you to share your soul with a few friends. And Jesus did even when it was not a success story. He shared his heart with the three. And then we read this next verse. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I think here we are now at the heart of the Gethsemane story and the heart of prayer. There's some important things that we learn about prayer. Uh, First of all, it's this, he called out, my father. He was still in a relationship with God, even as he was so distressed. My father, he called out in intimacy to the one who loved him. And then he did this, he stated his preference May this cup be taken away from me. Jesus did not say, hey, this is no big deal for me to go to the cross. No problem. I can do this. He said, here is my preference. Here is my bias in my prayer. Please take this cup from me. And after admitting his bias, then he followed it up with learning obedience. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, there's a a struggle in prayer. There's a process that we go through of coming to desire God's will and to long for it more than anything else. I think we have those experiences too. And it is a good thing for us to state and acknowledge our biases in the first place. Lord, I do not want to have this hard conversation with this person. I would rather not talk with this person about it, but not my will, your will be done. Or, Lord, I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to do this job that you're calling me to do. I'd rather just stay here. But 
not my will, your will be done. There are a few verses in Hebrews 5 that point to Gethsemane in verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. We read this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's the Gethsemane story, isn't it? In Hebrews 5. Please notice this. Jesus himself wrestled with doing the will of God. Doing the will of God was not automatic for him. But in the words of Hebrews 5, 8, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That's a powerful idea. He learned obedience through his suffering. As he prayed through his troubles, he became obedient unto death. This is a risky, crazy prayer of submission. True obedience is not a simple step um, for us or for Jesus. God dealt with the sin of the world by taking sin upon himself. Judgment didn't go away by waving a wand, but by the death of God's Son. And it's a false gospel to think that God is going to remove all bad things. This is not the way for Jesus. And how can we think this will be the way for us? How can we learn obedience? Come with me to the study. Come with me. Come with me. Maybe you want to imagine that you're going to a quiet place and you're seeking to learn obedience with God. Coming to the study and come into a quiet room and close the door. And discover that, is it true that there has been something in your life over this past year that has been hard? Something painful. Something that you would rather not walk through. And here and now in this quiet place, you can learn obedience through suffering. Here and now, God wants to do something good in you. Have you experienced something this past year and you've said, I have no idea what God is doing with this. But in the study, in this quiet place, you can sit and be still and listen to him. Here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did you know that that word Gethsemane, it's a Hebrew word. And uh, it means actually olive press. So here in Gethsemane, we, we would understand that there were olive trees around him. He was praying in this olive grove. But the place was known because there was an olive press there, right in the garden. Um, you know what an olive press is? It's a large rolling stone that was used to, to crush the olives in order to produce the valuable oil. And so Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days 
and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is a hard teaching. It was the Lord's will to crush him. Or here's how it's worded in the message. Um, Hear these verses in another translation. This is a contemporary wording. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. Now that is a mystery. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Hey, when our children, uh, when our kids were approaching their teens, one of the DVD movies that we watched over and over and over again was The Princess Bride. I do not know if you know this movie, but I get to tell you for a few moments about this movie. We memorized lines with with each other. We quoted the lines to each other. It almost became like scripture. I mean, it it became words that we just read as we watch this movie lots of times. Uh, There's one scene of of a rather silly marriage. Marriage is what brings us together. And, and my kids teased me saying, Dad, you have to say it like that sometime at a wedding that you officiate. Or, or another one where there was this big sword fight. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It's a corny movie from the late 1980s. But it was a movie that just carried on. But there is a line in this movie. That's at the heart of the movie. And I think it's deep in your heart too. The line is at the beginning and it's at the end. And as the movie opens, we see the heroine going about uh, doing her chores on the farm. Her name is Buttercup. And soon we meet a young man who works on the farm and answers to the name Farm Boy. Whenever Buttercup asks farm boy to do something for her, he always replies with the words, as you wish. That's all he ever says to her. As they grow into their hormones, Buttercup seems to be developing a crush on farm boy. And one day, as he is about to leave the room, she asks him to fetch her a pitcher, which is within very reach for her. And farm boy walks over, picks up the pitcher and then stares into the eyes, stares into her eyes, lifting the pitcher to her and says, as you wish. And in that moment, returning his gaze, Buttercup realizes that every time he has said, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. As you wish. Your will be done. What a beautiful expression of love through a submitted will. When we say to God, your will be done, we are really saying to God, I love you. I'm giving myself to you that I'm ready to follow you. You know that we can reject God's will too. That's why it really is a fight for us to abandon ourselves into God's love and into God's care. Your will be done is God's transforming prayer. Our pursuit of God's will 
is what brings freedom and joy. But there is a choice. C.S. Lewis, he describes this reality with incredible clarity when he, he says this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. We can fight to get our own way, but in the end it does not lead to life or joy or community or peace or contentment. I have a question. If God gave me everything I wanted and answered every prayer with a yes to my requests, what kind of problems would I have in my life? I have wanted a lot of things in my life that God has said no to. I once really, really wanted to be a great NHL hockey player. I once, and for a chunk of my life, I I really wanted to get my PhD. I wanted to study further. I once wanted to work halfway around the world. I once wanted to be in a church without that had no differences and no conflict and no disagreement and complete unity on every single issue. I didn't get that one either. Um, And I know that I didn't want my mom to die when I was a younger man. God didn't answer any of these prayers the way that I wanted them to. And I can say, God is so good. What if God gave me everything I wanted? Think about parents who give their kids everything they want. This past week, I was reading articles on entitled children. Uh, Entitled children get everything they want. They have not learned the blessing of a no. They have not learned how to handle disappointment. They have a hard time coping with failure. Parents and other adults in their lives haven't said no to them. It doesn't create healthy children. And by the way, it never creates healthy Christian lives. Now, I'm not saying that, um, that it's good for parents to always say no to their kids. Parents want to bless their kids with good things. My kids are adults now, and I still want to bless them with goodness. But however old my kids are, whether they are five or whether they are 35, it is also a problem to try to make everything easy for them or to try to fix all of their struggles. Parents, just a reminder, uh, It's never a job for us to snowplow the roads of life and to clear everything for all of our kids. Your will be done. I love how Richard Foster describes this in his book on prayer. Um, He writes this, Your will be done. It means freedom from the everlasting burden of always having to get our own way. I love that sentence. Imagine that. Freedom from the everlasting burden of always having to get our own way. It means freedom to care for others, 
to genuinely put their own needs first and to give joyfully and freely. I trust God sees the big picture and that he is truly wise and good. And so when we pray for God's will, we admit that we are not big enough to know the whole picture. We admit that we don't know every step and move to make life work. The older I get, the more that I realize that I do not have all the answers. And that's something that God has known about me for a long time. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There are many times when we have to make difficult decisions. And maybe you right now are at one of those places where you are at a crossroads making a difficult choice. Is it time to stay or is it time to move? Do I serve in this way in the church or do I pull back and get involved in some other kind of activity? Do I speak out to the problems that are around me or do I just stay quiet? And do I just wait quietly and pray? What career should I pursue? Or what should I leave and pursue once again? There are everyday questions in life then also. How do I pray for this person? What can I say to help this friend? What words do I offer? How do I make this next big decision? There are so many questions that we have to bring before the Lord. And God is faithful and he will lead us in a good way. Ruth Haley Barton, Christian writer, talks about praying with, she calls it a prayer of indifference. And here's what she writes. In the prayer of indifference, we let go of our desire for any particular outcome. Whatever God says is okay. Now, indifference doesn't mean we don't care. It just means we care about what God wants more than our own preferences or desires. Instead of attaching ourselves to a particular answer, we attach ourselves to God. We need these transforming words in the Lord's Prayer. They transform us. They change us on the inside. When we really say, Lord, your will be done, they have the power to change the world for God's good purposes. And do you want to say to him today, as you wish, Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, right in the middle, the middle of chapter 6, we find the Lord's Prayer. The middle words, as you wish. Lord, your will be done. And now at the center of this passion story, at the end of the Gospels, we come to the prayer in Gethsemane. You've noticed that the disciples kept falling asleep on Jesus? You ever fall asleep when you're trying to pray? And Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples and he doesn't give up on us. He just says, watch and pray. Just keep watching. Just keep praying. I'm calling you again. Will you watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We keep alert when we pray. It's like Jesus is saying, 
pay attention to what is going on and hold on to faithful times of prayer so that you will not be tempted to pull away. And as we keep on praying, may we hold on to these four words that direct it all. Your will be done. So what I'd like to do now, I'd like to lead you in prayer. And uh, I'm going to pray first of all, and then at the end of this prayer, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray the Lord's Prayer. You can pray it in English. You can pray it in any language that you want. The Lord understands. The Lord knows. The Lord hears it. Let's offer our hearts to God in prayer. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how do I let go when I'm so unsure of things? I'm unsure of your will. And I'm unsure of myself. But that really isn't the problem at all, is it? The truth of the matter is that I hate the idea of letting go. I see the times when I want to be in control. And that's it, isn't it? I'm afraid to give up control. I'm afraid of what might happen. So Lord, heal my fear. Please teach me obedience to you. Help me to learn more of what it is to watch and pray. Teach me your way of relinquishment. Change me on the inside. And Lord, as we come to you also, we realize that you are the master teacher. And that when we come to you, just as the disciples came to you and said, teach us to pray, We thank you, Lord, now that we get to pray together using the very same words that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.